Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. I just feel refreshed right now. This is third service, but I just feel refreshed. I just feel encouraged. And uh, I hope this service is just refreshing to your soul this morning. Um, sometimes sometimes just the pressures of life just, just keep coming. And getting away and getting into the presence of God is more valuable than we often think. And so I'm glad you're here. Um, we... We all drive, yeah, thank you. I'm glad I'm here too. Um, we, all, we all go through life in our, in our different ways. Um, and so I want to share a, sort of a, a portion of, of my life, and, and that would be this. And um, it's when I got my driver's license, people. Um, so I got my driver's license in the Yukon in northern Canada. I'm going to tell them myself, so... Um, if you're law enforcement in the room, plug your ears. And uh, I, I got my driver's license in the Yukon, and the, the, the Yukon driver's license was, um, it was not fancy like we have today that has multiple things on it. In fact, I had a friend that uh, he paid for a lot of his college by making them. And uh, not in Bible college. I was in Bible college. He was at University of uh, Victoria. Uh, but um, <clears throat> so I'm so, so sorry. And... Um, but I remember when I did my driver's test, they came back and they said I had, um, the, the, just the lady, I don't know why, but she wanted to put a restriction for nighttime driving on my driver's test. And she said, so no, only restriction is nighttime. And then she let me go into the office. And when I went in there, they printed me a driver's license with no restrictions. And so I'm driving at nighttime illegally, everybody. Um, even to this day. No, I'm, I don't know. I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, but I did, I, when I started driving, I was the... Um, some of you, this is your first time, and you're like, uh, when's the actual pastor going to get here? It's me. And my, uh, my, I was the third child my parents had, the last child. I was also the baby, and I was raised basically like a single child because my second oldest, or my, my middle sister was seven years older than me, and my oldest sister was 10 years older than me. So essentially, I was raised once mom and dad finally had money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like all the things, they're like, why does he get all that stuff? It's because mom and dad finally have money. And, um, and so when I got my driver's license, I got something uh, that, that was just a privilege, and that was I got a hand-me-down car. I got a, um, a Chevy Lumina, somebody. Yes, that was a good car. It was it was the best. For, it's basically a rally truck. Is basically what it is. Uh, that thing could go places that other people's jeeps couldn't go. I would I would go snowboarding and like just bomb down the road in that thing, and uh, we we would climb mountains in it. And uh, it was we had so uh, we took that thing everywhere. And uh, at one point, the, the, a mechanic told my dad, uh, 
he, he owned a mechanic shop right behind my dad's funeral home, and, uh, and he, he, said, uh, he said, Roger, he said, whoever put this thing in the ditch needs to pay for all this work. And my dad was like, what do you mean put it in the ditch? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. I knew exactly what he was talking about. <clears throat> Um, but it was fun. It was, it was a fun car, and I, I graduated high school when I was 17. It was the summer I was turning 18, and the day after my final exam, I flew to Louisiana to go live with my oldest sister and her husband, and when I got there, I, I quickly found a job framing, which was a lot of fun, so I learned how to frame. I may not have calluses now, but at one time, I had calluses, and <laughs> I got preacher hands, and uh, <laughs> I had a friend that was going through uh, the border between uh, Alaska and Canada, and he said, he said, you know, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm a preacher. And the border officer said, let me see your hands. <laughs> so offensive. And, uh, and so when I got there to my sister's house, she, uh, she gave me her single cab Ford Ranger. It was a white single cab Ford Ranger to drive while I was there in, in Louisiana. And Louisiana's, it's gross, you guys. I'm just, like, if you're from Louisiana, Lord bless you, but... You, you can't seem to ever get the water out from between your fingers. Like, the webbing in your fingers is always wet. It's just so gross. Or you, like, take a shower and you towel off, and by the time you get down the hallway, you're wet again. It's just, it's horrible. And so it was not the best in that way, but my sister gave me this car to drive. And what I, what I had never done before was drive a manual transmission car. And some of you are like, you were almost 18 and had never driven a manual transmission? And some of you are like, what is a manual transmission? <laughs> and my brother-in-law was really kind. He's just got all the patience in the world. And just a, he's a gifted teacher. But I think he was still in the developing stages of this because he's not a good teacher for driving. And... Uh, and so he, he put me in that truck, and he's like, okay, what you're going to do is, you know, you're going you're gonna to put the clutch down, you're going to put it in gear, and then you're going to, like, ease the, between the gas and the clutch, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to let you go. And if you do it too long, you're going to wear out my clutch, and, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, that's fine, I got it. Blah, 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 you know, <laughs> it's like, and, and that's how it was. Like, for the first while, every time I tried, blah, 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 it was just the worst. It was so embarrassing. No girls were attracted to my driving skills. I'm just saying. Not one, and uh, I, I, uh, I, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a horrible thing, and the, the worst part was the day he was teaching me how to drive, I did not know how to drive this thing. He took me, I don't know the name of the road, but it's the main intersection in Alexandria, Louisiana. It's like where the highway comes into town and the main thoroughfare from town meets it, and there's a stoplight, and I sat there at that stoplight trying to get the the transition between clutch and gas in first gear, and the whole time, like I went through three red lights <laughs> while my brother-in-law that knows how to drive this thing sat in the passenger seat and pointed and laughed. He just laughed at me. The whole time, I was so, it was at that point he probably recognized I, that I might have some temper issues at that point because I was so mad. I was just, ah, so super angry. But I, I didn't even, like, I couldn't go anywhere. I, if I got out of the car, I was in the middle of an intersection, and I was in Louisiana. No idea where I would go. Like, the only thing that kept me in the car was my pride. You know, I didn't want some pretty girl to see that. Like, that's the idiot that can't drive the car, you know. Finally got through there, and, and uh, I'm thankful that they let me borrow 
the Ford Ranger. I'm not sure that they are happy that they let me borrow it now because I'm sure at some point they replaced that clutch <laughs> because uh, I, I, would, I would just, you know, grind it till you find it. Anybody? Even though he just, <laughs> there we go, you know, and, and uh, or just over rev the engine, like, Wah! it's screaming before you shift down. And uh, it, at this point in life, I love driving a manual transmission. Then it was difficult, but now, I mean, I've driven lots of trucks and cars with a manual transmission. Little sports cars with, with a manual are so much fun. Legally, of course, like in, in, in the speed limit and not accelerating too quickly, looking both ways. And, it, and I mean, I've driven dump trucks, dump trucks with a manual transmission. That's a lot of fun. And um, I'm, I'm, I got a cough drop in my, my, my mouth because this is three services and my, my voice is going away. Um, I drove a manual transmission on a dump truck. I loved it. And what's interesting about driving a manual transmission is that what seems like the engine is screaming and about to explode in one gear, in the next gear, feels smooth. It's just, it's nice and smooth. And, and I believe that all of us have shifts that we have to make in our lives. We, we all have seasons in life where it feels like the wheels are about to come off. Like it, we're, we're, it's, it's hard, we're, we're, we're going a little too hard and, and the truth is you may still be in first gear and you're wondering why things seem a little difficult. It could be that you're still in first gear and, you're, and you need to shift away from excusing some things by saying, well, that's the way my parents did it. That's the way my mom parented. That's the way, that's the way my, no, like there's gotta be shifts in our life that take us to the next level. If you're going to the next level that God has for you, it will require a shift in your life. It's going to require a mindset shift, a, a behavioral shift. It's going to require a shift. Because in life, we have natural moments that cause us to shift. A little baby that is crawling on the ground and uh, just a little, a little guy. And, and then, and then as, she, as she gets bigger... You know, you know, their, their head is, is super big, and it, it's like the, the heaviest thing on their body. So when they first begin walking, they're not actually walking. They're just sort of chasing their head, you know. They're, they're just like following their, but, but it's a shift. It goes from crawling to, to walking, and as a parent, it's, it's amazing until you realize that also means they can have access to the whole house. You know, like when your child first begins talking, it's this amazing shift, and then they shift again when they become teenagers and talk differently. And you're like, no, we don't talk like that. We have natural shifts. We, we shift from milk to meat. We, we shift through growing through puberty. We, we shift from being someone that is a receiver in, in gaining an education to someone that is a contributor in the community. We, we all have natural shifts in life. And there are also unintentional shifts, things that that we didn't intend to shift our life. It could be a season of sickness. You just didn't expect a sickness. I was, I was praying with somebody between services who has uh, just a, a sickness. They, 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 they didn't want that shift in their life, but it changes the gears of the life. Maybe for you, you, you thought until death do us part, but there was a shift that you... You didn't want to have, you didn't want that shift. And so now you, you've walked through the hallways of divorce. That's a, that's a shift in life. 
Maybe for you, you're not married, but your, your boyfriend broke up with you, and, and, and that's a shift that happens in life, and, and those are unintentional shifts. There are also intentional shifts, things that we do for and to ourselves to move us to the next level. So maybe for you, you recognize that in order to get the job that you wanted to get, you needed to go back to some sort of schooling to get a certificate or something, some sort of formal training. And so that's a, a shift, downshifting back into some training or upshifting into the new career. It, it, it's these moments of, of training or maybe going back to school or, or maybe for you a shift looks like I, I'm going to stop being just... Um, it is what it is in my marriage, and I'm going to shift to being an intentional husband. Like, that's a huge shift that will change your life when you make that change. Maybe a shift for some younger people would be to, to, to stop stalking her on Instagram and just ask her on a date, somebody. <laughs> the right shift at the right time will take you to the next level. The right shift at the wrong time will stop, stall your vehicle. But the right shift at the right time will accelerate your life. And so for some of us in this room, there are some shifts that we need to make. There are some big shifts we need to make. One would be the shift from dependence in our life to independence in our life. There needs to come a shift and that there's a season and there's a time for everything and you should. I think as parents, we want to encourage our kids and give them a good platform to live in and to move from. But at some point, there's got to be a shift from living in mom and dad's basement to getting a career and moving forward. Like all the parents, give me a good, Amen. And that's not to say you're, you're not wanted, you're, but it is healthy for us to become independent. It's a shift that should happen in our lives. Another big shift that should happen in our lives is the shift from my life is all about me to my life is about other people. That's a huge shift. When we're born, we're, we're born just sort of thinking about ourselves. We don't think about other people, but a major shift that must change is my life has impact in the people around me. There was um, a radio show I was listening to this week, and um, a radio is a, it's kind of like a podcast, but it, um, it's a dial that antenna waves. <laughs> That's so stupid. It's a dumb joke, but I'm going to keep doing it. Just get used to it. Um, <laughs> What's the joke? I didn't get the okay. <clears throat> there was a show they were t on the radio show. They were they were interviewing Steve O from um, the the prank show, the stunt show that he used to do. Uh, he wrote a book, and the book is called Steve O: the, the Demise and Rise of Steve O. And it's a it's a book about his struggle with addiction and and how he was over, able to overcome addiction with an addictive personality type and sort of an all-in or all-out personality type, which was it's a great book on, on how to struggle with that, how to, how to get through it. I haven't read it, but it, was, it sounded interesting. In the interview, they were, <laughs> in the interview, they were, um, they were, he was talking about how he, he was working for Barnum and Bailey Circus because he, he was a clown, was his career. And they had all the clowns in this apartment complex and a couple of the uh, units in the apartment complex had 
uh, research biologists, so biologists that were like cl doing clinical research in the world. And, um, and so it was just this unique combination. And at one point, uh, Steve-O walks into a group of them and he says, hey, all you suckers. He's like, when you guys die, you're just going to be gone and forgotten. But not me. I'm going to live forever. He says, I've been filming my life with a VHS camera since I was 15. And he says, and when I die, every part of my life, is people are going to remember me forever because I'm on film. One of the biologists, she looked at him and she said, Steve-O, you don't get it. You think it's all about you. She said, well, while you're betting on a camera to make your life last forever, I'm investing in a coral reef. And so after I die, every fish that is able to find shelter or food in that coral reef will be able to live because of the work I've done. Church, we can outlive our own lives, not through some camera, but through investing in the lives of people around us. Every time that you come alongside a coworker that's discouraged and you encourage them and you lift up their spirit, you may just change the trajectory of an entire family. Every time you come alongside your neighbor that's been struggling with alcoholism and you just encourage them and just spend some time with them and help them move forward in their life, I'm telling you, you can change family histories. Like you can make not just a coral reef, but you could change an entire generation through your words. Another big shift that we need to make in our life is the shift from uh, things are too hard to I do hard things. It's, it's not good. Ah, that's just too much work. It's just, it's too much work. I don't want to do it. No, no, no. This is something we tell our boys. If it's just hard work, I do hard work. I can make that shift in my life where I can, I'm telling somebody today that, that, that piece alone will make you more money in your lifetime. Just saying, I do hard work. I, I'm not afraid to sweat. I'm not afraid to get calluses, even though I'm a preacher and I don't have calluses. <clears throat> And I'd say another big shift would be the shift from entitlement to empowerment. It's very easy for us in, in our culture to fall into the trap of entitlement. Entitlement means that I, I believe that people owe me what I do not deserve, that they owe me what I have not earned. I should be the one with that promotion at work. I should be the one with that nice How did she get that car? Entitlement. Empowerment is when you understand that God, the king of the universe, has given you a destiny and a calling, and he has equipped you, and he has given you authority and permission to move forward into everything he's called you to do in your life. He's given you the thumbs up, the green light. He's saying, go, my child, go get it. It's going to take some hard work, but go get it. Move from entitlement to empowerment. It's a big one. And then I would say... Thank you. And, and then I would say that another big shift for a lot of us is this one, to, to make the shift from living in greed to living a generous life. Because we all come out of the womb looking out for number one. It's a good thing. You need self-preservation. You need to stay alive. You need to put food on the table. But that, when it is 
not washed with the grace of God. That, when it is, when it is not uh, surrendered to the will of God, it becomes a place of greed in our lives where it's just about me. I'm just going to secure what I have and the rest of you just do your, I'm just going to take care of me. I'm saying that's not God's plan for your life. There's a reason why Christians throughout history have been the most generous people on the planet and that's because it's biblical. It's the the reason why hospitals exist, is the Christian church developed hospitals. It's the reason why colleges and universities exist as an institution, because Christians are generous people. We're getting ready to do this Legacy um, Sunday on the second week of November. And uh, it's it's just a big one-off Sunday where... We bring our very best. We, we give as best as we can that, that week. Your birthday, let's go. Come on. And, and you might be here right now and you're like, oh, snap. We came on the day he's going to talk about money. <clears throat> he's all, they're, they're always talking about money. Those preachers are always talking about money. No, no, no. <clears throat> Number one, uh, this is the first time all year that I've talked about money. So, Number two. God doesn't need your money. This church doesn't need your money. God does not need your, God isn't like, I don't think he's ever seen someone deposit a check and he's just like, oh my Like he's not leaning over your shoulder at the bank like, ah, can I get some of that? Like we got some remodeling we need to do. Like St. Peter has, he needs a new couch. You know what I'm saying? Like God's not after your money. He's, He's after your heart. But if we think he's after our money, what we do is we, mm, we do this and we guard it. He's not after that. He's after your heart. The Bible's very clear that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What that means is where you invest your money determines the things you love and value. So if you want to choose to love somebody, you invest your money there and you'll find yourself loving them. If you want to choose to love a, a, a thing you invest in, you'll find that you love that thing. For me, uh, during 2020, we bought a truck. And um, the uh, Brad Carpenter, who attends the church, his, his dealership was, uh, it's Western, it's down on the road, uh, the boulevard, and we found a used truck, and we, we bought it. And, uh, man, I was so excited about that truck when I first got it. I was cleaning it, like I was washing it. Like, I got the, all, like the unlimited wash, and, like, sometimes twice a day. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, armor all in all those seats. I was armor all in those seats so good that like, if I took a t- corner too hard, you're going to hit the, you're like going to go out the truck. <clears throat> and then at one point, I had a trailer on the back of the truck and my, my youngest son needed to get in the back for some reason. And he, I, 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 I don't quite remember the whole story, but um, he, he opened the trailer and it dropped down onto the hitch. And uh, he came in the house and he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. You remember your tailgate? <laughs> I look at it, and it wasn't little. It was, there's this part of you that hurts, that first scratch. You know what I'm saying? It hurts. And it was in that moment I had to decide, is my money, my money's, where my money is, that's where my heart is. Is, is my heart going to be with this truck, or is it going to be in the eyes of that little eight-year-old? Because where we place our treasure, that's where our heart is. 
Paul writes to a church twice called the Corinthian church. He writes two letters to them. So the New Testament of your Bible is full of a bunch of, a bunch of it is, is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing letters to churches he's already built. And twice he writes to the Corinthian church. The, Corinth was a city that, uh, it was a metropolis. It was a port city. In fact, it was a, a small spit of land with, an, with a harbor on one side and a harbor on the other side. And so major, it was a major trade route where ships would come. They would deliver all their goods on one side of the port. They would transport them by land to a boat on the other side. And then they would go. It would save them weeks of travel, and it would save them a lot of money. And, and it became like any port city. If you've lived in a city that has a large port community, there is all kinds of rampant sin that comes through. Uh, people that are living isolated on boats that come into a city looking for fun. Like it just becomes a crazy, very diverse, wild place. And that's how the church in Corinth was. And Paul, Paul is encouraging them. And he encourages them by pointing to another group of churches in a, in a city called Macedonia. You may remember Macedonia. Macedonia is where Alexander the Great is from. So 300 years earlier, Alexander the Great from Macedonia took his nation and they conquered the then, they call him great because he decided his name would be called great. Like he, he's the kind of guy that can make his own history. He, he, he took over and he lived his entire life and he built the culture in Macedonia of, we say yours is ours, yours is, like everything is mine, 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 right? Like all the parents got that, nobody else, okay? And so... <laughs> Macedonians built a nation by grabbing everybody else's stuff. The opposite of generosity, grabbing everybody else's stuff and making it theirs. And Paul's going to encourage the Corinthians by, by saying what, ha what happened. And you may say 300 years is a long time. No, we're talking about like the founding of our own nation, determining the trajectory of what our nation is now. Same sort of time frame. He's talking about the Macedonians. He says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This just seems like jumbo shrimp. It seems like an oxymoron because he's contrasting severe trial and overflowing joy, and he's, he's connecting extreme poverty and abundant wealth, like richness. I, I think when we look at this passage, we can see very clearly and, and immediately that Paul is saying that our circumstances do not dictate our joy and our bank accounts don't dictate our richness because we are a different type of people. We don't live by the system of this world. Like, yes, you're an American, but you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ first, which means you get your joy from him alone. Like, like he gives you joy and unspeakable and full of glory. Doesn't matter if you're walking through a difficult trial. You can have joy in the middle of struggles because he's good to us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything we need. He describes himself as Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. Like, like, I may not have all the money in the bank account that I wish I had, but I am a daughter of the guy. I'm a son of the guy that has it all. It's a game changer when you recognize that my joy doesn't have to come through whether life is going good or not. 
and my sense of in, like richness and, and, and fullness in life does not come from a line item on a bank account or a spreadsheet. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able to and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. I, I love this. It's entirely on their own. They, 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 they begged him if they could do an offering. They gave themselves first to all of us and the Lord, and, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, and in, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I, I don't think this is a Corinthian church at all. The Corinthian church had some things going for them. The moving of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit were operating in the church. They, they had a deep sense of connection to God, but they were struggling in this area of giving. And the Macedonian church, they were a church that was generous. They would be what we call around here, the givenest givers in the giververse. And I believe we're a Macedonian church. Celebration Church is an incredibly generous church. The, the people around here are not tight-fisted. We're people that, that give, like, to the community and to nationally and regionally, and we give into the kingdom of God. Like, we are a generous people. I would say we are a Macedonian church. Macedonian church. Sorry, David. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Why? I, I love you. I love you, David. <laughs> sorry. I love you. That's... Sometimes I become 13. Okay. <clears throat> Three times in that passage. Hey, g g listen. I just wanted to say this. If you're like, oh, why is the church always got to talk about money? Oh, it's not that the church needs it. It's that the greatest area of stress in your life it's your money. The greatest source of the arguments in your marriage? Money. Actually, statistically, that's changing. Statistically, right now, the greatest source of divorce in marriage, it's like 56% of divorces in, in America are happening because of pornography. It used to be financial. It's still way up there. I'm just saying it, it'll ruin your marriage. I'm just throwing that in there for free. But the greatest source of fulfillment and joy you can have in your life also comes when you get your money right. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. He says three times in this passage that it is a grace of giving. Not that it's some sort of a reciprocal arrangement, a transaction. It's a transaction of giving. God gives me money and I give. No, no, it's a grace of giving. God just gives us this grace to be able to give out of whatever we have in our lives. I'm going to give you a, just a very, uh, this, this is my definition of grace. This may not be the scholar's definition. It's not, there's no big words like sanctification. But it says, grace is God's enablement for salvation and growth in our faith. Grace 
is what God uses to enable us to accomplish all that he wants to do in your life. Your salvation alone comes through the grace of God, not through a work of your own. Like, like all the growth that you experience in your life comes through the grace of God. And giving is an area that God grows us in through his grace. If we're going to shift in this area, there are some 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 shifts that also have to happen. If we're going to shift and become generous people, to go from greed to generosity in our lives, there are some shifts. The first shift is this, from a lack mindset to an abundance mindset. It is the easy road to always say that there is never enough. It is natural and very realistic, and I'm just a realist to say there's never enough, but I'm here to tell you today that whether there's abundance or lack has less to do with the number in the bank account and more to do with your perspective of the God you serve. I'm saying like, if you evaluate whether you have enough or don't have enough based on the numbers, you're never going to shift into the places that God, like you're never going to start that business that God has for you. You're never going to step out and, and find financial freedom that God has for you until you come to a place where you recognize you serve a God who's bigger than the numbers. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Can I just tell you that if, if my God owns, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know, but that's at least a thousand cattle. Maybe more. And I'm just saying that seems like an analogy to he is infinitely wealthy. Like we're talking about the God who through his mouth speaks the world into existence and it appears with all the rare minerals that we're digging out of the earth right now and making China have a monopoly on it. Like all of that. And God spoke it into existence long before you and I stepped on this place. I'm telling you, you have access to abundance in your life. When, when, so this building, this church, like, well, I'm talking about the Legacy Sunday, we're, we've got like a, a pretty big expansion, like a $3 million expansion we're getting ready to do in the building. It's, it's a lot of money. But I've seen God come through before. Because yeah. watch this, when, when we got, we were given, as a church, we were given this building. I'm telling you, we were a tiny church at the back of a school, the back of a field, and God blessed us through a person, but God blessed us with this building. And even that person would say it's a miracle from God. And when we were looking at this opportunity, I was talking with the, the board, and even though the building was given to us, just to keep the, the air on and the lights on and everything all done was three times what we were paying for the rental of the school we were at and the rental of our office space and any utilities we had, three times. It was almost our entire monthly budget, almost, just to be able to move in here. 
and I sat with the board, and I was like, hey, guys, I, I, let's pray, because I just feel, like I know the numbers don't show it, but we serve a God of abundance, and I feel like he's in this. Like, I, like the numbers don't line up, but I feel like he's in this. And, and, and I was talking to the board members, and they're like, no, like God is in this. He's going to provide. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And I'm telling you, not once have we had any struggle with that. Like God blessed the church financially to the point that we have we live way below our means. We're able to bless people when there's tragedies around the world. We're able to do things in other regions and other cities, other churches, because God is a God of abundance. I think the next the next big shift we have to make is the shift of not yet to right now. People often say, I would love to be a generous person, but I need to wait until I hit this benchmark before I'm generous. And can I just tell you, if you're not generous with the $10 you have, you will not be generous with the million you have. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 says, do, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. God may have placed it on your heart this morning to go bless somebody that you know, that you know is struggling. Don't wait until tomorrow. If he's going to develop this gift of generosity inside of you, act now. Act now. The next big shift would be from a I have to to I get to. Because if we're not careful, we, we think I have to do this. Number one, God is not demanding your money, and neither am I. But we can get so far from the place where God found us that we forget how he found us. We forget what he found us from. Like God freed you and delivered you, set you free from the things that were holding you captive. And if you're not careful, you'll forget that the way he found you, unless, unless a light shone from heaven and said, you know, you know, why do you kick against the pricks? Maybe, maybe, maybe that happened to you. You had this, this light shine from heaven. But for me, it was a Sunday school teacher that spoke into my life. It was somebody that had investment into my life both with their time, with their abilities, and with their finances. That's how, that's how you found Jesus. And so it's not that I have to do it. It's that I get to make a difference in someone else's life. Like I get to be a part of an expansion for the auditorium so that we can, like God is, we're getting ready to build the auditorium out this way. And like like, I know right now you feel like I have some elbow room. That's because we just went to three services, people. Like, like God is bringing people to this region. He, there is a migration of people coming to Idaho, of all places. And they're coming here because they think they're going to get a financial benefit. And guess what? Not true. And when they get here, they realize, oh, no, I just overbought on a house because it doesn't pay the same here. And you know what happens? They begin looking for a different reason why they're here. And we've got countless stories of people that have moved here because they thought that it was a good financial decision. Turned out it was a wash, but they found God and it changed their life. Changed their life. 
Like we baptized so many people just because people are come. God is sending people. And he didn't give this church a free building on one of the busiest intersections in our county for us to just sit back and just enjoy ourselves. He's saying, I want to see the church of the living God have a, we get to do this mentality. We get to do it. We get to do it. And you might say, like, Pastor, that's just, uh, I don't know. I feel like you're, listen. This is a biblical principle. If you, if you don't want to buy into what we're doing, that's fine. Go somewhere where you believe the vision of what they're doing and so into it. Be, I'm not saying if you, don't, if you don't want, you know, if you don't want to give, get out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your life will improve. And you will grow in your walk with God if you can plant somewhere that you agree with and believe that God is in it and you give to it. You will grow. You'll be better for it. It was just if this Legacy Sunday, take a minute. We're building out the auditorium behind me. There's 16,000 square feet of empty space right here. Building that out. We're building new restrooms right where this whole section is. You guys are in the toilets right now. <laughs> new restrooms. New restrooms, why? We've got great restrooms now. Because our current restrooms are in the middle of the kids' hall, and we're going to invest the money to make sure we can secure the kids' hall. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, for the record, we have really um, active security teams, so when you go over there, they're watching you anyway. <clears throat> and the other thing, we're going to be paving the, there's a triangle of dirt when you leave the building here that gets filled with weeds and just looks all nasty and every bit of trash from the winter stays there all winter and in the spring it looks like a dump. So we're paving that to give you some more parking. And then the other thing we're doing is this, um, our office team is forfeiting their offices. We're going to cubicles for the next uh, season and we are turning our offices into what we're calling a blue room. A blue room is uh, essentially, um, a decked-out break room at slash substation for our police department, sheriff department, Idaho State Police, and you have a law enforcement that needs some margin in their life. We're creating a break room so that they can meet their spouses for lunch. So when they deal with a difficult call, if they need a place to go kind of unload for a minute, they have a place they can go unload. And as a church, we're going we're gonna to stock it with food and, and drinks, and we're going to have just a couple people that have passed police background checks that will clean it. It's going to be an incredible thing. It's going to cost some money. But here's the deal. Our community is growing. And, and you, might, you might think, well, I, I feel like that's picking a side, you know, police or, you know, knock it off. If, if, if we want our police officers to have the kind of composure that, that they need to have for difficult situations, we have to give them margin to be able to do that. Can you imagine uh, doing your paperwork at the back of an alley at midnight, uh, doing your paperwork in your car, but also trying to be vigilant that you don't get ambushed by somebody? It's just a really incredibly stressful job. And we as a church have space. We can say, no, no, no. How about you come in here? You meet your wife for lunch. You get to hold your kids during lunch. Like, like that's a good thing. And it will benefit our community. We will have officers with composure and a place that to retreat to if they need to. That's a good thing. That's what we're giving to us.
As the band, band would come, I, uh, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 20. It says this, in, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And again, if, if, if you think this is me trying to get money, I have a trustee board that sets my salary. You giving does not change my salary. But it does change our community. It does change families' lives, people that live in the neighborhood. It does change their lives. And if you really struggle with that, again, I, I challenge you. Find a place that you believe in. There's power and being a generous person. So let's move from existing to excelling in this grace of giving. It looks like three different things for different people. There's people at different levels in here, and that's fine. Maybe for you, the idea of giving alone is, is a pretty scary idea. Here's my challenge to you. Move away from tipping God. Like, God, your customer service was really good this week. Left you 20. Don't do that. God, you didn't answer my prayer. You ain't getting nothing. Did I? It's like with my kids, right? Like, buy French fries for my kids. We're in the car, and I reach in the back. I'm like, Dad tax. Dad, it's a great move. Just buy them the French fries, and then say, Dad tax. Throw your arm around. I'll get french fries from one kid, french fries from the other kid. I don't care how many french fries it is. I just get frustrated when the one kid takes the half-broken, nasty french fry and sticks it between my fingers. Because it misses the heart of it. It's not that it's one. I, I don't need the french fries, as you can tell. It's about the heart behind it. I want my kids to develop a heart where they're open-handed towards each other and towards me. And that's how your God is. So I would encourage you, if, if you've never really stepped into giving before, become a percentage-based giver, not a tipper. Get with whoever you need to get with to make a financial decision and pray and say, God, what is a percentage of our income that we can just commit, whether, whether you answer our prayers or you don't, whether life is good or not, that I can be faithful in because it's about faithfulness, not a one-off. And then just set that. So that's where some of you will be. The, uh, and, and when I say this, I think sometimes people, they just feel worn out from these kind of messages, which we try, try not to talk about money very often, but they get worn out by it because they're like, man, I want so bad to be part of that legacy offering, but I've got a $700 truck payment and I overbought on my house. We're, we're house poor, Pastor. That's, that's fine, I get it. That's no shame. And I wanna say this, like we do things like Financial Peace University around here, and I'm always shocked that no one signs up.
It's the biggest stress in our lives. Why aren't we signing up for Financial Peace University? It will change your money. You're, you're in a house full of people that have, have worked through it to figure it out. I mean, even if you don't go to Financial Peace University, like, get around some of the people, the, the seasoned people in this house and just say, hey, can you walk me through this? It's gonna take some humility. But you gotta allow people in your life. I, I know for me, I was taught at a young age how to work hard. My dad was a, a business owner um, and, and he worked, he, I learned how to work hard. I never learned how to manage my money. I was in that generation that's like right as checks were phasing out. And so I didn't know. So I knew how to work really hard and make money, but I'd be like, what do, where did it all go? And I had to be very open and very vulnerable. And it's scary with some people in my life that say, hey, I got to get my money right. Like, I got to get this figured out. And there's people in this house, there are people in this house that are very successful that they would say, they've told me, they feel their calling is to help other people get their finances in order. I'm saying that there, I get the frustration. For you, I'm, 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 I'm saying, let's just, let's work on the basics. Is that okay? I'd say the next level from percentage-based giving would be this, is to become a tither. Tithe, tithe literally, the word, it's a fancy word, literally means 10%. And somebody right now is like, ah, oh, I grew up in the Mormon church. I know what this is. You want my money. No, don't want your money again. But in scripture, there is a, clear blessing on somebody that leans in on this principle. Ah, pastor, I saw on YouTube that this is no longer in the New Testament. You need better scholarship in your life than YouTube. Here's, here's what Leviticus chapter 27 says. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It's holy. There's something unique about it. I'm telling you, I don't need your money. But there is a biblical divine principle here that will change your life. I always find it funny when I talk about this stuff, the people that, that, are, that, that have a problem with it are usually the people that never give. It's the people that never give that get frustrated when I talk about money. But the business people in the church that have just been blessed with success, they always come to me. I had one after first service. They, they always come to me like, Pastor, you've got to talk about this more because people just don't get it. This will change their life. It's what, it's the principle we've built our business on. Like it will change their life if they would just get this one piece. In fact, Malachi chapter three, I'm just gonna read this short portion. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says Lord Almighty. He says, test me. The God of the universe says, you wanna know if I'm real? You want, you want your shot to test me? You want? Come on, test him. He's faithful. And then I would say the last sort of area of giving would be spirit-led giving. This is above and beyond that. Somebody that 
that is praying about, like, God, what can we do? Specifically, something like this legacy offering. saying, God, what, what is something we can do as a family to leverage what we have to make lasting impact in the lives of others? So you get together with whoever you make financial decisions with, and you pray, and you say, what do you feel like God is calling us to do? Often, if I do it alone, my first number is like, I feel like the Lord's like, no, no, you're too, you're too stingy. <laughs> but it's amazing how often my wife and I, when we pray on something like this together, we'll write it down on a piece of paper. When we come together, same, same. Because it's a spirit-led giving. It's saying, God, what would you have me to do? So during our legacy offering, the second week of November, for some of you, it'll look like you're just choosing to give for the very first time, and that's great. For some of you, it will look like you stepping into saying, like you just feel like what God is calling us to is to tithe, and so that's good. we're gonna sow in that day, we're gonna begin doing that, we're gonna make that commitment in our lives. For some of you, you're gonna feel God saying that there's, there's something above and beyond, like the church in Macedonia, makes a difference in the world around you. It's amazing what happens. God's not looking for equal gift. He's just looking for equal sacrifice. Well, for somebody, maybe a lot, to another person, maybe nothing at all. But it's all of us leaning in with the same effort, saying, God, what would you have us do? He'll bless it. I remember, I'm, I'm over my time. I'll tell the story short. Don't look. That doesn't mean look. <laughs> when I was in college, I, I went to a conference. I was in Bible school, and I went to this conference. They were taking up an offering for this missionary. And I, uh, I wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't have a good job. I was in college. I had $1,650 that was supposed to be towards tuition. I'm not suggesting this to anybody. And I just felt like the Lord saying, give the money. I was like, I can't, I gotta pay tuition. Just give the money. I gotta, I'll take care of you, just give the money. So I, I gave this missionary $1,650. I just wanted to be a part of, of what God was doing somewhere else. I wanted to be able to sow into someone else's dream and be like, if, if God's calling you to this, like, let's go. I flew back home, went to my dorm room, and then I went out to the, the mail room, fully expecting there would be a, a check for like $1,160,000. You know what I mean? God's gonna bless. He said he'd take care of me. Never got a check. You know what I got? I got a second job. I got a second job and I worked my tail off that semester and the tuition was paid just fine and you know what happened during that season of my life it wasn't that God opened up the windows of heaven and poured out financial we get so short-sighted financial blessing I grew more in my walk with God during that season of just move like I grew in my walk my spirit man grew and I believe it was because of a sacrifice 
that really tested me, that really put me at the edge. And I'm just telling you, you have an opportunity to test God and see how good he is. Would you stand with me? God, I pray for every man and woman in this room right now. Lord, that we would, we would stand before you with an open heart and an open hand, not clinging to the things and the cares of this life. But Lord, we would say, whatever you want, whatever you want from my life. If you want me to go talk to somebody about you, I'll go talk to them about you. If, if you want me to, to use my abilities to go help somebody move forward, and if you want me if you want me to show a young person how to balance a budget, God, I'll go do that. God, if, if, if there's anything I can do to contribute, like God, I just want to be a part. And I pray you'd bless, I pray that you would speak to the men and women in this room over the next few weeks as they prepare their hearts to come to you with an offering that you would speak. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.